And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. Elon Musk, are you ready for the random ranter? And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here in Toronto on this day. This is your turn, the Thursday episode of the bridge and your turn means it's your stuff your letters your comments your thoughts your ideas your questions we're all here for another week plus we have the random ranter and as we flagged a moment ago the ranter is after elon musk that should be interesting the battle of the minds (laughs) okay uh, but the Thursday episode, the Thursday segment of the bridge, as you well know, is built around your comments. And uh, just like every other week, we've got uh, lots of them on a variety of different topics. Last week was kind of a one-off because it was the day before Remembrance Day. We devoted all of your turn to your thoughts about what remembering meant. And uh, it was a very successful program. Um, It was even brought up in the Senate, the Senate of Canada, where one of the senators referred to it, uh, and this whole idea of remembering things that have been forgotten uh, by Canadians in general uh, about some of those war years. And the years that immediately followed that incredible story that we read last week that came in a letter about Estevan, Saskatchewan, and the plane crash that took place there in 1946. Anyway, it was nice to see references uh, from a number of you uh, this week, and including that reference in the Senate. And we appreciate that. Um, All right, why don't we get right at it? Uh, As I said, there's... A lot of different topics brought up here today, so I'm kind of just going to go through it. Occasionally, I'll have a uh, the odd comment on it. Uh, keep in mind that the uh, uh, not all letters are read on the air. I don't know. I guess maybe half of them are referred to. I try to get a, as good a selection as possible, and I try to um, to get the opportunity for new listeners to get their thoughts in uh, when they. Uh, so right. Cindy Stevens writes from Salmon Arm, British Columbia. I'm in the process of reading Seth Klein's book, A Good War, Mobilizing Canada for the Climate Emergency, writes Cindy. I recommend this book for those of us who shift between hopelessness and despair regarding the climate crisis that we face. It is so monumental and will take true courage for our governments to take the steps that are necessary. I'm a little younger than you, that's meaning me, but realize the legacy we are leaving for our grandchildren is nothing short of horrendous. Well, we agree on that. The reason for my email is I'm hoping you would consider giving a weekly CO2 reading, as well as a comparison to what it was the previous year. I read in a good war that the CBC Radio Morning Show out of Victoria started incorporating that info into their show in 2019. I thought hearing this factual information on a regular basis would be helpful to bring people out of denial and realize very substantive steps must be taken in order for survival. 
I think it's an interesting idea. I'm going to um, I'm going to do a little research on that. I'll see what the Victoria people are doing and others. I mean, I've done some basic checking in on this, and uh, I just want to make sure that uh, you know it's the best way to to get a sense of of how we're doing and how the country's doing um, on this question. So I, I will look into that and uh, and and see what may. Uh, what may be possible. Here's a good one. Alex Godoy writes, I'm writing from Vina del Mar, Chile. I'm a fan of your program, The Bridge, for all five days of the week. I love to drive through the mountains here while listening to your shows. It feels so Canadian. (laughs) I love that, that image of somebody driving through the mountains in Chile listening to the bridge. All right. Your last show, writes Alex, with Brian Stewart about the argument to keep Putin in power was somewhat uncomfortable to listen to. Let me just clarify. First of all, Brian wasn't arguing that he felt Putin should be kept. What he was reporting on was an increase in the number of analysts, commentators, um, especially in Europe, who were saying, we've got to think this through about whether or not Putin should be given the hook because the alternative might be a lot worse. So he was just reporting on that. He wasn't making the argument that they should keep Putin. Anyway, back to Alex's letter. We're talking about a man who had no problem to send ill-trained soldiers to die in an undeclared war against Ukraine, who has menaced the West repeatedly with the use of nuclear weapons, well, not the use of, but the threat to use, who has menaced the, uh, uh, who flattened cities like Mariupol in Ukraine and killing civilians with his missiles, who waged a war against Chechnya and Georgia, also participated and sustained the Syrian conflict and annexed Crimea. If the West and Ukraine deal properly with Putin, anyone coming just behind him will know where the line has been drawn and the consequences for trying forcefully to change them. Um, I hope you're right about that. Uh, I, I think that's a debatable point. But nevertheless, I, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate you uh, writing to us. In one of the breaks, I hope you're not writing while you're driving through the mountains listening to the bridge. I love that image. Next time, take a picture. Um, Susan Hayton writes, This needs a bit of a setup, too. Susan is a doctor, and she's writing from Saskatoon. No mountains there. Ski Hill. Here's Susan comments. I'm writing in response to your November 16th podcast in which Pierre Polyev's tweet about fixing Canadian health care was referenced. Polyev's suggestions seem naive and unrealistic to me. Yes, there are many immigrants in Canada with training in medical sciences from their home countries. Medical training differs from country to country, and I believe it is important to ensure that individuals requesting the right to practice medicine in Canada have the requisite skill and knowledge to do so safely. I think that was, you know, I think Polyev, in fairness, did uh, recognize that, but I think your argument goes deeper, and let's get to it. 
Investigation of an individual's credentials, the adequacy of the training they have received from the enormous number of colleges of medicine around the world, the skills of a particular individual, their ability to communicate with patients, and their understanding of our Canadian healthcare system takes a considerable amount of time and manpower. 60 days is enough time to tell an individual no, but not enough time to adequately assess all comers such that they can be safely integrated into our medical system. If applicants require further training, this involves substantial ongoing evaluation and instruction from already overburdened medical practitioners. Early, inadequately validated, licensure has the potential to cause harm to patients and may result in subsequent heartbreaking withdrawal of that licensure if problems develop. I believe that all of us working within the healthcare system want to see an increase in the number of physicians and other healthcare workers available to care for our patient population and satisfying jobs for physicians trained abroad. But it is unrealistic to think that this can be done so easily and quickly if we want to maintain a high standard of care for our patients. The College of Family Physicians of Canada, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada, and professional colleges across the country are working hard to increase our healthcare workforce, including integrating new immigrants into our Canadian system. It's complicated and time-consuming work with limited resources. Susan, thanks for taking the time to sit down and write that letter. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. I think the attraction of what Polyev was saying was this has been, as you know well, Susan, this is not something new. This is not a new issue. This has been around for decades. You know, we all hear the stories about, you know, you get in a cab and the next thing you find out is the guy driving the cab, you know, is a doctor from, uh, from, from another country but can't get to work here. And we all feel, geez, that's like, you know, that sounds crazy, especially when we need more doctors. But I think you lay out your case uh, uh, very well, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if this becomes a discussion point because I think the there is potential for Polyev's idea to look and sound popular to some people uh, on the face of it, and um, and I think that the recognition that it's a little more complicated than that, and you've pointed that out in your letter, is uh, is helpful. Steve Cash writes from Upper Tantalon, Nova Scotia. It's Halifax. I've been listening to your podcast daily since the start of 2022, and I found them to be informative and thought-provoking, so I thank you for that. My question has been simmering in my mind for quite some time, and yesterday's episode with Brian Stewart served as a catalyst for this letter. There's been much talk of how far the Ukrainian people will fight to push the Russians not only beyond observed borders in January of 2022, but also to regain the annexed territories of Crimea. Nations such as France suggest brokering for peace and Republicans in America are looking for an exit ramp for military and fiscal support. I can understand Western support continuing in Ukraine to achieve status quo with the Russians being pushed back beyond the January 2022 borders. But if that is achieved and the Ukrainians want to continue into Crimea, is there an appetite in the West to support that? And could the Ukrainian army ever come close to achieving success without Western support? What happens when the military and fiscal tap is turned off? 
good questions. Um, I'll see how Brian feels about that when we uh, when we chat next week. Thanks, Steve. Willa Henry writes from Kingston, Ontario. My nephew had major heart surgery at three and subsequent cardiac arrests. This letter is a follow-up to a story we did, an end bit we did a couple of days ago, talking about a new study that, once again, indicates that some people who uh, whose life was saved by CPR did witness in, uh, in the last minute or so um, of this, their episode, a kind of withdrawal from their body, a kind of looking down feeling. Um, we've heard this before, but this is a new study that kind of underlines, in fact, this has happened in many, in many cases. Anyway, back to uh, Willa Henry's letter. My nephew had major heart surgery at three and subsequent cardiac arrests. Years later, he described watching my sisters and I from the ceiling, leaning over his bed, begging for him to come back. He's now 35. I was always amazed by this and now truly believe we likely leave our body and look back. It is truly mysterious about what is to come. Thanks for bringing up the story. Roddy McKenzie writes from West Vancouver, B.C. I guess there's a bit of a debate going on in B.C. about whether or not the monarch's pictures should be on B.C. ferries. At least Roddy McKenzie feels there is. Roddy lives once again in West Vancouver. We are a monarchy, he writes. It is wrong for B.C. ferries to remove portraits of our head of state. It's also wrong for B.C. ferries to think this somehow aids Indigenous reconciliation. Indigenous Canadians do not protest our monarchy. Instead, many say the Crown protected them from politicians. That's true. Some do say that. Uh, Mary Reinhardt writes, and this is about the issue around masking after... um, after there are a couple of Mary writes from Barrie, Ontario, and this week there have been indications from Ontario's premier and uh, and health officials that people should be wearing masks more often now with the recent rush of uh, viruses, especially among young kids. So Mary writes, I've yet to hear any of these professionals suggest that parents of those under five should consider carefully and or suggest do not take their children to busy malls, shopping and grocery stores, public rec centers, public cafes, play dates. Also have not heard any new protocols suggested for daycare centers. We had protocols for senior homes. I'm not an anti-masker in any way. However, I am questioning the ongoing response by our health professionals of masking, which seems to have totally derailed their application of just good old-fashioned common sense. Don Whitmore, uh, living in Toronto. Don Whitmore here at Snowy Toronto Airport. I just got off the plane and walked from Gate 41 to the Maple Leaf Lounge. Basically, the whole length of the domestic terminal. The airport is very crowded. I saw 10 people during my walk who were wearing masks. This included both passengers and employees. 
The triple threat is upon us, and no one seems to care. In my section of the aircraft, one other person was wearing a mask. Does no one read newspapers or listen to the news anymore? Have we become a nation of COVID deniers? Are people simply too stupid to care? I'm worried, Peter, very worried. I turn 70 next month, and I'm concerned that there will be no one left to care for me in my dotage. The government must act before the current wave becomes a tsunami of death and despair. I know that you have expressed reluctance in returning to your Monday updates with your favorite coterie of medical experts, but maybe it's time to keep your loyal listeners updated and safe. Well, three of the last four Mondays, we've uh, done exactly that. Um, so we're trying to keep we're trying to keep up to date on the story, but there is a certain repetition to the advice we're getting, and some of it is exactly what Mary talked about two letters ago. It's common sense. David Colton from Stratford, Ontario. I listened to your end bits regarding Winston Churchill and his lucrative painting skills. Then I recall George W. Bush's appearance on Ellen and his post-presidency hobby of painting. I wish Trump could take up painting. His post-presidency hobby appears to be litigation, all of which have no merit, I've heard. Continued success with your podcast. Um, I remembered uh, W's paintings, and they were, I, I think they were mainly of veterans, were they not, from, uh, uh, from various conflicts that uh, the United States has been in in the last 20, 30 years, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, Bosnia. Uh, so, yeah, Churchill didn't own the rights to painting, but I think Churchill's paintings, the point of the end bit the other day was was the incredible value in which these paintings are now uh, held, you know, selling for millions of dollars in some cases. You know, for those who can afford such a thing. Uh, Chris Harding's writing from... Ellers House, Nova Scotia. I just wanted to say what a huge fan I am of Brian Stewart. You know, what's going on here? Is Brian's family, extended family, uh, they, did they get the sign this week? That, okay, write letters. <laughs> I don't consider myself a politician in any way, shape, or form, but if there was an opening to become the leader of Brian Stewart Nation... I think I may have to consider taking a run at that. I have an idea for you to float by, Brian. Has he ever thought of doing his own podcast? He could call it The Stew and could perhaps have you on as a regular guest. I think it would be a hit. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Brian, who I've known for 50 years. Brian is not what you might call a tech wizard. There was enough trouble, and if you listen to the early editions of uh, early episodes of these things with Brian uh, on the bridge, it took a while before we got his audio sorted out. <laughs> it was pretty tricky. It involved one switch. <laughs> so that took, I don't know, a month. <laughs> anyway, it's perfect now, and he is terrific. I mean, that's why he's there. 
That's why I rely on him, as I have done throughout my career, to listen to Brian. Okay, I got to tell you a little story before we take our first break. As uh, many of you know, because I've done the podcast from there, you know, a fair amount over the last year or so, um, I love traveling to Scotland. Uh, we have a place where I do a lot of writing. I'm in the midst of writing another book with uh, my good friend Mark Bulgich. We wrote Extraordinary Canadians together a couple of years ago. We have a new one coming out next year. Uh, title still to be determined. Um, and I can't really say anything more about it uh, than that. But the writing is well underway. In fact, it's almost completed. Um, but I do... Uh, I do a lot of writing in uh, in Scotland. It's you know it's nice to to be away. It's in a remote location in the Highlands, overlooking the North Sea. It's you know it's wonderful. Um, not far from a golf course either, which helps. <laughs> when you have that writer's block, what do I need? I need to go smack a ball around. Anyway, we live not far from a community called Dornick. And if you know anything about golf, you've probably heard of the Royal Dornick Golf Club. It's one of the best golf courses in the world. In fact, of the many different ratings services, uh, one of the top ones ranks it the top golf course in the world, Royal Dornick. Anyway, it is in the community of Dornick, which is small, you know, 1,200, 1,500 people. And in the center of Dornick, is the Dornick Cathedral. Now, it was originally built in the 13th century. So it oozes history, right? It's a beautiful cathedral. Um, and I've been in it a couple of times. I'm not a regular uh, cathedral Sunday morning goer, but I've been there a number of times, and it's got these incredible acoustics. It's a stone cathedral, not surprising. Um, and uh, there was a time a couple of months ago that uh, the local uh, pipes band, which would perform every Saturday night in the downtown streets of, uh, of Dornick, it was raining. So they moved inside the cathedral and it was, oh, it was incredible, just incredible. Anyway, the cathedral is one of the top spots, tourist spots. People come to see this 13th century cathedral. But its history goes beyond that. It was also, and I don't know why, but it was also, well, here, let me back up. The cathedral has had... um, she just retired in the last year or so, uh, a minister who is extremely well-known, well-respected, well-loved in the area, including by the Queen, who at Balmoral used to have her come down to Balmoral to conduct some of the services. And so, you know, it, it's tough to replace a legend, and their Dornan Cathedral is going through that now, is trying to determine how the new minister is is being received. But the old minister, uh, you know, had quite an array of of history to it. I mean, it was, um, 
who was married there. Madonna was married there. One of her marriages was in the Dornick Cathedral. But here's the other one that's more timely, and you're wondering, why is he running on and on with this story? The guy who had his first marriage in the Dornick Cathedral in Scotland was Elon Musk. Now, as it turned out, that marriage was uh, as successful as Madonna's, but nevertheless, Elon Musk walked into that 13th century cathedral and got married. Now, that was a long time ago. He was a very different guy then. He was still, you know, uh, not much more than a, a student who'd been taking lessons at Queen's University in Kingston among other places. But a little bit of the Dornick Cathedral history, just a little bit when you consider the centuries it's been around and the things it's seen and done and hosted, part of that history is also Elon Musk. So why am I telling you that story? I'm telling you that story because the random ranter is ready to go with his thoughts on Elon Musk. Cue that tape. When people ask me to describe myself, I always say I'm smart enough to do anything and I'm stupid enough to believe it. Why am I bringing this up? Well, I've always said it as a bit of a self-deprecating joke, but for some people, I think they live that life. Hello, Elon Musk. I'm talking about you. You're certainly real deal smart enough to do anything, but I'm guessing years of fanboys fluffing your ego have made you stupid enough to buy into your own BS. And boy, oh boy, have you bought into it with your $44 billion takeover slash tire fire of a Twitter acquisition. There's no denying the guy is brilliant. Tesla has transformed the automotive industry, putting electric cars at the forefront of change. SpaceX? They've virtually supplanted NASA. Is there anything the guy can't do? I think there is, and it's called Twitter. Or at least it's called Twitter as of right now. Who knows what it'll be called next week? Maybe bankrupt. Because Twitter is melting down like it's made out of crypto. I think Elon Musk is too big, too rich, and too powerful to be of any good for anyone, including himself. I mean, the guy's a henchman short of being a Bond villain. Just look at the boxes he checks off. Ridiculously rich. Cutting-edge technology. Rockets to space. A global network of satellites. Vague, indistinguishable accent. Double blue verified checkmark. Secret layer? I don't know about that one, but I wouldn't put it past him. Sadly for Elon, though, if he is some type of Bond villain then he ranks as something from the Roger Moore era, Moonraker or Octopussy at best, because even the lamest Bond villain wouldn't have bought Twitter and fired half the employees. In fact, most Bond villains seem pretty prodigious in their hiring practices, but not Elon. He seems to take pleasure in firing people, like real twisted pleasure. There's no fake HR empathy with him. He's out there on the ice himself, clubbing seals with a smile on his face. So here's the thing. I think the unraveling of Twitter is just the beginning of the unraveling of Elon. Because while he owns Twitter, Tesla is publicly traded. 
Year-to-date shares of Tesla are down 40%. There's a lot of money at stake, and Elon's actions are going to be increasingly put under a microscope by investors, which is not good news for him, because he seems to play loose with the rules, and he's messing with sectors with a lot of oversight that comes with some serious penalties. And while they might not be James Bond-level penalties, I think I'd risk life and injury with Bond versus a mob of angry, litigious investors. Well, all I can say is I hope the ranter doesn't have a Twitter account <laughs> because it's probably been frozen by now. Uh, anyway, that was interesting. I know there are some big Elon Musk fans out there because when we've made other dropped other comments about him over the uh, over the months, uh, I've heard about it. So we'll be interested to see whether uh, how people react to the ranters rant on Elon Musk. Okay, we uh, we have more of your letters. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna read them, but first we're gonna take this break. So we'll be back right after this. And welcome back, Peter Mansbridge here uh, in Toronto on this day. This is the Thursday segment, Thursday episode of the Bridge. That means your turn and the random ranter. You're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform. Two days a week, Wednesdays and Fridays, we also uh, video the um, podcast in production, and it's available on my YouTube channel. You can find the link on my uh, bio at, uh, on Twitter or Instagram, and um, join us. It's free. Now... Let's uh, let's get back to the uh, to the letters here. And by the way, if you're wondering where that music came from, it came from our past. That's one of our old uh, theme musics. And I pushed the wrong button, and it came up, and it sounded pretty good, actually. So we'll keep it through the rest of this particular show. Um, Sean Aiken writes, and this is about. There are two letters here that actually refer to last week's Your Turn, that special one I talked about in terms of Remembrance Day and remembering the power of remembering. And I want, I, we received a lot of letters. And as I said earlier, we also had a, a, you know, a reference in the, uh, in the Senate of Canada, uh, which uh, you know, was a nice, uh, a nice acknowledgement of what I thought was a really good program, which was... You know, all your thoughts, your, what you had to say on a, uh, you know, on an issue of, uh, on an issue that was important to an awful lot of people last week. Uh, so it was, uh, it was nice to hear from you. Okay, let me get back to uh, uh, what was, uh, what was written last, what was written last week. Um, Sean Aiken wrote this about last week's program. I've just come home from the Whitney Cenotaph and Remembrance Day ceremony. I then went to the local Legion for the first time and drank a tea with a veteran. Thank you for your week of remembrance. I've so enjoyed the book talks. I'm now halfway done Ted Barris's Battle of the Atlantic and have learned so very much. Chapter 7, titled Swim, Meet in the Gulf, describes U-boat battles near the Atlantic and have learned so very much. Those battles in the Atlantic, uh, 
the Gaspé, the Gulf St. Lawrence, something I presume very few of us know much about. This week has reawakened my mind to military history and the importance of remembering. Thank you again, Peter. I've promised myself to never forget and will absolutely attend next year's ceremony. And, and this letter, last one about last week, it comes from Kate Welsh in Stratford. Thank you for this week. It's 6 a.m., and I just listened to Thursday's podcast. I'm weeping. So important for us to remember. I was born in England. My mother was born in 1929. Her father was in the RAF in World War I, signed up underage. Mom spoke of being bombed out in London, being evacuated to Brighton, and marrying an American GI at age 15, which ended, uh, unfortunately, in disaster. You've inspired me to write a letter to my 23-year-old daughter in Victoria to share some reflections because war impacted my mother greatly, which then affected the next generation, my brother and I. My husband and I always go to the Cenotaph or watch on TV the annual ceremonies. I have granddad's medals framed with his picture, which I cherish greatly, which I am sharing. And she does. She shares the medals and some pictures. Okay, a couple of other letters before we, uh, we leave you. If you were listening to the uh, podcast on Tuesday, I went through one of my pet peeves about, uh, about television production, actually, and it's about how in television, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, how we have used maps, the power of maps, and where maps can let you down by not putting in the full context of really where countries are located in their, on their continent or in their region. But just give the outline of the country, and it could be anywhere. Anyway, we got a couple of letters on that point, and I wanted to read them. Carmen Bowles writes from Quebec City. And Carmen is a grade five teacher in Quebec City. She writes, I've been listening to your podcast faithfully since I heard you speak at our provincial teachers convention a few years ago in Montreal. The Bridge is my favorite podcast. Well, that's, that's very nice because there are tens of thousands of podcasts out there. And to say it's your favorite, I'll take that. Thank you. Carmen writes, I can relate to your pet peeve regarding the use of maps when discussing global events. I'm a huge fan of maps and timelines. My high school history teacher told me I needed to know where and when I was in the world. I have a huge world map in my classroom. And whenever we come across a place in our discussions, readings, and viewings, we stop and locate it on the map. We often zoom in on it using Google Earth as well. My students could hardly identify Canada on the map at the start of the year, and now they surprise me with their knowledge. My students are children of military families. I teach right off base Valcartier in Shannon. Today we were discussing the war in Ukraine. They have so many questions. One student wanted to zoom in on Kherson. He was feeling optimistic, as his dad had told him the tide was turning in Ukraine's favor. 
Unfortunately, on the way home from work, I heard about the missiles that hit right inside Poland's borders. I have a feeling I might get a request to zoom in on the map again. I try to answer their questions, but I don't want to make them anxious about world events, especially because their parents may be called up at any time to participate in the conflict. It's not an easy time for my students. But I digress. Back to my main point. I love maps, and I hate any missed opportunity to build our knowledge of where and when we are in the world. Thank you to my teacher, Mr. Scardina, for that wonderful life lesson. And thank you, Peter, for helping me to continue to reflect our country and the world we live in. Wow, Carmen, thanks for that. What a great letter. Um, really glad you wrote it. You know, you touched on something about uh, Google Earth and the ability. Well, it's not a plug for Google, but it, it is a plug for the tech abilities we have now and how on you know Google Earth you can you can zoom in on just about anywhere on streets on houses I'll tell you a quick little story about the final days of my mother's life she was in a home near the end and one of the things that my sister and I wanted to do was, you know, find different things we could talk about whenever we'd visit her because she she had all her faculties. She was wonderful to talk to, and she was always inquisitive about the world around her and always learning new things. But I, I did, this was this was quite a while ago now, you know, it was more than a dozen years ago. And I had just kind of discovered Google Earth, a little slow to the, the parade on some of these things, but I just discovered, and I, we came up with this idea, let's take a laptop into, the, into her room and go on a kind of world tour. And we got a number of addresses of different places where my mom had lived during her life. And we zoomed in on them, to the streets, and in some cases to the homes, the actual house. And, it, you know, it was, well, you can imagine, it was special. It was a special moment. And I thought of that when you're in your letter, Carmen, when you, when you referred to what can be done with, with Google Earth and how you use it with your class. Uh, so let's go on. Last last letter for this week. Uh, this comes from Mark Uinishan. And he's in Calgary. Hi, Peter. I heard your recent pet peeve about maps as graphics during news broadcasts. It made me laugh. As a group of my friends currently do a daily puzzle in the spirit of Wordle, called Wordle, and text the results to each other. Every day a graphic of a random country on our screen, not unlike the Uganda example you gave. No neighbors, no location on the globe, no clue. Just a graphic of a random country. 
Anyway, we realize a few things. One, how little we know about some of these countries. Two, we didn't realize how many countries are in Africa. And three, maybe some potential travel locations. French Polynesia? Wow. We are in our early 50s. Here comes the punchline. We are in our early 50s, and we blame the newscasters from when we were kids. Marky in Calgary. (laughs) Well, you're right to blame them. People like me, you know, stuck graphics up that didn't tell you enough to make them relate to you and give you the context of what they were showing. And that still happens, I think a little less so now than it, than it used to, especially with the amazing ability of, of, uh, of tech these days, the things that can be done responsibly and not just as a gee, wow, golly, ability to use tech to bring you closer to the story, put things more in context, and give you the sense of the information you really want. That's why you're there. That's why you're watching or listening or reading. Okay. That's it for this week. That's it for this week's Your Turn and the Random Ranter. Hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, Friday, Good Talk, Chantelle Bear, Bruce Anderson. We got things to talk about. What do you really make of this China story? A couple of you wrote in about that. And we're, you know, the China story being the, this moment between Prime Minister Trudeau and President Xi of China. What really happened there? Should anybody be taking offense? And if so, which side should take offense? Anyway, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, and we'll talk about other things as well. That's tomorrow's Good Talk, which is also available on that special YouTube channel. That's it for this day. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours.